Hello, this is Todd Littleton for The Edge of the Inside with Thoughts from the Edge. You know, every now and again, it uh, does good to uh, listen. And one of the things that sometimes uh, folks in the church, church leaders, have a hard time doing is listening. Especially when those we ought to listen to, we generally think in terms of adversaries. We have a hard time thinking of them as allies because we view the world differently. And... um, Sometimes those that we encounter who see the world differently actually spent some time in the church. And uh, a lot of folks shake, scratch their heads and wonder what in the world happened. And we might, we might really need to uh, do a little more listening to stories than trying to cipher statistics. So I'm happy today that uh, when I put a little word out uh, offering some ideas about who to host on the podcast. I got a message from my friend, Rob Davis and uh, Rob said, man, I'd love to be on your podcast uh, and chat with you and not sure what we talk about, but well, shoot, I had lots of ideas. Turns out he did too. That's what we're going to do today. So Rob, I'm glad you're on the podcast today, man. Man, I'm really glad to, to hear your voice. It's been a, a long time. I'm, I'm definitely glad to, Uh, tell my story if I can and um, contribute in some positive way to at least a few people, I hope. Good, good. Well, on that note, why don't you tell us what you're doing now? Tell us where you are, what's going on, maybe a little bit about yourself, what you like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Well, I I guess almost about a year and a half ago, um, I took a position at my current company as uh, the HR manager. Um, it's a, uh, what was a small mental health agency in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and it's becoming a, a kind of a large mental health agency. We've got about 330 employees, um, company continues to expand and we've got 11 offices across the state of North Carolina. Um, so that's that's what I do. That's my day job, um, which I love. And um, I don't know. I really feel like I'm I'm helping people every day, and I'm I'm a part of something that I think is just a really positive force in the world. Um, so that's my day job. Um, uh, let's see. Outside of that, I. This December, my wife and I will celebrate our 17th wedding anniversary. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, our oldest son just turned 16, and our youngest is about to turn 15. Um, so that is, that's my family. Um, yeah, what do I like to do? Uh <laughs> I like to drink beer, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I used to be a lot more involved in music, um, you know, playing in bands. Just kind of grew up in that world. Um, more recently, it's you know, I, I still really enjoy finding new music, and uh, I spend a lot of time listening to music. And um, I mean, I, I guess that's about it. I don't really do a whole lot outside of that anymore. Okay. Yeah, but investing in family, and uh, I, I see a, a lot of shots uh, when you take the, the, the family out to the beach and that sort of thing. So getting outdoors looks like it's a, a bit of fun for you. So that's good, man. That's good. 
Yeah, we uh, we love being out here. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this a bit, but um, we moved out to Raleigh area in uh, late 2007, and um, some things drastically changed from there. And then, you know, at that point, I was like, why why are we out in North Carolina? This doesn't make any sense. What are we doing? And through that whole process, we really fell in love with it. Um, we're about an hour and a half to two hours from the beach. We can, you know, get to the mountains in a few hours. We can get to D.C. pretty quickly, Florida. So we're really, we're, uh, we're in a great area. And um, I don't know, it just took some time to really get to know the place. And now I, I can't see myself living anywhere else. Excellent. Yeah, and we, we are going to get into what carried you out to uh, North Carolina. And, and maybe by way of introduction, you know, we've, we've talked off and on whenever you're back this way and we get a chance to have maybe lunch or something and, and chat a little bit or we a little Facebook message or that sort of thing off and on. I'm always glad to, that we get a chance every now and then to connect that way. Um, but but when, I, when I let off, you know, with my introduction, uh, I'm, I'm pointed to the way um, the conversation or discourse is taking place with regard to, you know, what's going on in the church. And it, it wasn't just a few years ago that all of a sudden um, those guys who play with numbers uh, started identifying, you know, people who they uh, said were no longer affiliating or identifying with either Christianity or the church. Generally, in, I think in the early days of that, it was the church, because now I think there's a new category called the Duns. Mm-hmm. And I, I think these guys actually, you know, sit around and try to think of those things. <laughs> and and so I've, I've got a friend who, who happens to lead a, a group. Uh, he's president of a, a group that does a lot of statistics, and he writes a lot about it. And over the last three or four months, I went back and looked when I knew we were going to chat and to see kind of, you know, so what's he been saying about some of these statistics that come out? And, and what you find is you find, you know, uh, that you, you got you got folks defending uh, this current situation by talking about certain aspects of the numbers. And then I, I picked up on last week when, when we had, I had my fail in meeting our appointment. Um, I, I came across, uh, a guy who decided to talk about why millennials were leaving the church, uh, in droves. And I only got his part one, I didn't get his part two. And basically it was another way to try to distill numbers down to, you know, in essence, you've heard it before say that, well, really what we're finding out is really who's Christian. And and I I don't think that's largely helpful because I really tend to think that some of those other observers of what's going on in Christianity have identified that there are Christianities that is plural. And so when when we start talking about who's leaving what, we, we need to actually work harder at it. And then when we, you know, we encounter someone who has, uh, like our friend Greg, left the building uh, and you identify in that way, you know, it's, it's better for us to listen and to talk rather than immediately draw some, you know, uh, wacky assumptions that um, are really inappropriate. So tell us, tell us, let's just go from the beginning. So, so before anybody, you know, uh, sets out to go, I think I'm going to leave something. You got to be in something. So tell us what took you from Oklahoma city, uh, to the Pacific Northwest and then, and then end up in North Carolina. Sure. Yeah. Um, try to distill a lot of information (laughs) 
And, you know, I was thinking about talking to you and um, just really thinking about thinking back to what, you know, what happened and how did it happen and just really realizing, like, you know, depending on a person's place in life at any given moment, they're going to interpret their own history in a certain way. They're going to, you know, focus on certain details and leave out other things. And um, so, uh, you know, of course, it's, you know, really hard to do that and to be honest, but also um, to just not... Uh, not interpret my own history um, fully. So, um, yeah, I I guess just as a preface to try to understand my own story, I guess it's kind of a psychoanalytic thing where you're not supposed to, uh, you're not supposed to interpret yourself. You're supposed to let somebody else do that. So all that said, (laughs) um, let's see. How do I start? So uh, I grew up in, for the most part, in Moore, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Oklahoma City. Um, and we also lived in Arlington and a suburb of Waco, Texas, when I was younger. So Texas and Oklahoma is kind of, you know, where I'm from and I think defines a, lar- a large part of who I am even today. Um Grew up mostly in the charismatic movement, so a lot of uh, you know four square churches, non denominational churches. Um, toward I think high school, maybe even late junior high, uh, got involved in a Pentecostal holiness church um, with three of the the guys and a few other people that have remained. Uh, my best friends to this day. Um, a couple of those guys I talk to almost on a weekly basis. So, um, and interestingly, none of us are uh, connected to the charismatic movement. I don't think in any way, other than you know, our parents are still involved in it. Um, so that I think was a big part of uh, shaping who I was and who I would become. Was just that whole world of uh speaking in tongues and holy laughter and uh we even we watched a tv show the other day on exorcism and just recalling all these memories that i've probably suppressed to some degree right. of things that were happening to me as a child um and so i kind of i guess came out of that world and um ended up you know, getting a little more involved in leadership. I actually had a, um, I was probably 14 or 15, went to some huge like teen mania event or something like that. And, uh, someone prophesied over me specifically over me in a crowd of, you know, hundreds of teenagers, maybe thousands of teenagers that I would eventually be a, uh, a well-known uh, international speaker and pastor and preacher. And, um, so I, I think I got that, that seed planted really early on that I was going to, you know, quote unquote, do great things for God. Um, whatever that means. And, (laughs) uh, so coming out of that environment, you know, the way I interpreted that was that, you know, I was going to be a pastor of a mega church. I mean, that was just kind of what, uh, 
got planted in my head. And then I really think I had it as a kind of subconscious goal for the next, you know, 10, 11, 12 years after that. Um, so from there, um, I got more and more involved in different leadership roles, became an assistant youth pastor, became a worship leader, um, and involved in several different churches. Uh, ironically, I was actually uh, on a leadership team um, probably when I was about 17 with, uh, with Josh Curry, who is now the lead pastor of Frontline in Oklahoma City. Right. Um, so he and I were really good friends back in the day. Um, so um, let's see, where do we go from there? So I think I hit a point um, probably, in, I was probably about 20, 21 years old where uh, a lot of the charismatic stuff just didn't make sense to me anymore. Um, I uh, continued to view the entire thing as just really weird. Um, I had never personally spoken in tongues. I was not healing people. So a lot of the stuff, like it just got weirder and weirder and I didn't really, uh, just didn't really make a lot of sense to me anymore. And I came across, um, Jay Baker's first book, um, uh, son of a preacher man, I think is what it's called. Yep, right. Right. Um, came across that book, got involved in this church, um, ended up actually connecting with Jay and the church I was involved with at the time. We, um, had him and his wife come out and speak and, uh, that, you know, it was almost like, a um, like in the, in the process of leaving the charismatic church, I didn't, I didn't really, I hadn't been really exposed to anything else. So I didn't know that much else was possible and meeting Jay, um, and hearing his perspective, you know, primarily just around the idea of grace, and, um, which at the time seemed like this revolutionary idea, sure, but, sure. Uh, which is strange to think about now, but, um, you know, that really put me on a completely different path. Um, and interestingly, you know, I reconnected with Jay, uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a little less time than that. He came out to Raleigh and we hung out for a bit, um, and he and I seem to have uh, somewhat parallel stories, um, but that's a whole other topic. Right. But so around that same time, um, I'd heard about this church in Seattle uh, called Mars Hill, and you know it was really when the internet was just kind of becoming a big thing. It was the early two thousands. I can't remember the year exactly. May have even been earlier than that. That. It, I started downloading sermons. I, um, I found out that several of the musicians that I had grown up uh, really being into their music um, were involved in that church in Seattle um, and were really core members, some of them becoming elders. And so there was all of these things uh, coming together for me where I, I was like, okay, I can... I can be who I am or who I was at that point and still be involved in the church. You know, I can, um, I can get tattoos and I can be involved in music and, 
you know, people can throw around, throw around vulgar language and it's kind of this weird conglomerate of um, really petty things that kind of uh, attracted me to um, the whole Acts 29 thing initially. Um, and in 2003, uh, so my wife and I had been married for five I guess it would be five years. Um, we racked up a ton of debt. We ended up filing bankruptcy. We lost our house. Um, I mean, it was in the whole, the the housing bubble. Like we were at the heart of that. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have been given a loan when I was 20 years old to buy a house. We didn't make enough money, et cetera. So we lose everything. And then we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And I wrote I physically wrote a letter to Mark Driscoll and he wrote me a letter back uh, in pen and said, Hey, you don't know what you're going to do. We're a new church. We really need people like you involved. You should just come out to Seattle. And we did that. Um, So we moved from Oklahoma city to Seattle. um, And that was, I mean, one, it was a complete culture shock. Um, I remember the first week that we were there walking around, um, I can't remember the name of the area and maybe Capitol Hill, I think is the neighborhood in Seattle. And there were all these signs, uh, bashing George Bush. And that was just something that I had never <laughs> experienced before, uh, in Oklahoma or at least in more Oklahoma. Right. Um, so it was this, just this different, <clears throat> different world that I had never known. Um, a lot of, you know, hippies and liberals and punks and skaters and just, I've really felt at home in Seattle. Um, and then about nine months into that, um, my dad got in a really bad motorcycle accident and we kind of freaked out and moved in with my parents. So we just abandoned our house in Seattle um, we ended up having to pay back a bunch on our lease and, um, moved in with my parents for about a year to help with my dad and his recovery. Um, so at that point, you know, I kind of, I gave up really on the, excuse me, on the, um, the Acts 29 kind of dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, after getting out there and being around that whole thing, I just realized, you know, I think I realized at that time that I was not the person that, um, that those guys were looking for. Um, even way back then, there's just really, um, heavy emphasis on, you know, being a man and manhood and, uh, all of that was just a constant theme. And, um, I, I think I saw early on that, 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 that was something that, um, was maybe an ideal that I should be striving for based on certain interpretations and certain books that I was reading, but I just wasn't there yet or whatever that means. Um, so we moved back to Oklahoma city couldn't really find a church, um, that kind of fit the, the Mars Hill ethos. And, um, 
came across a church called Fusion, uh, which at the time was uh, led by Scott Scrivener, who's you know still a good friend of mine. Right. Um, and I know I'm leaving a lot of details out, trying to. Uh, You're doing fine, man. Focus on what's most relevant. Um, so I think that was about late 2004 that we came across those guys, uh, really connected with them, got really involved really fast, um, ended up, uh, being ordained, uh, with fusion, um, which at the time, you know, those Southern Baptist conventions. So I was officially a Southern Baptist pastor, um, which was something I never (laughs) uh, imagined happening. Um, and then, through that experience, um, I totally by luck um, met this guy Caleb, who still uh, runs. He owns uh, Blue Seven in Oklahoma City. Right. Um, and he said, "You know what? I've got this. I've got this big room in the back of my store on North May, and." Um, He's like, you guys got any ideas for it? And immediately, you know, my my background in music was like, we need to run a concert venue out of there. Um, so we immediately started um, creating that space for art and music and, you know, all kinds of different events going on and um, built a stage and um, got a sound system and brought all of that in and, <clears throat> so tell me you were there when Gary Jules came. Yes. I was uh, there. Yeah, yeah, that was that was us. Yeah, Tommy and I Tommy and I went to see Gary Jules. That is really funny. Is, uh, <laughs> you started down that road and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. So, okay, good. Go ahead, man. That's cool. That was a great show. It was a good um, show. Yeah, so we um we did that for about a year and just really picked up steam and, you know, we were doing three or four shows a week by the time we, things shifted. Um, and that was a ton of fun. Um, felt really connected to the arts community in Oklahoma city. And, um, you know, it it was totally a, um, you know, there was no agenda. It was, you know, we're doing music, we're doing art shows, we're, um, no one's going to get up and preach at you, you know? So through that, I, I was able to, you know, establish all these relationships with all these people who were not, um, connected to the church in any way. And that was always kind of my, my hope was that, you know, I don't want to be stuck in a church building all the time, um, as a pastor. Um, so I don't even think most of those people even knew that I was a pastor <laughs> at the time. Um, and so we did that. Um, and then out of the blue, one of the guys who actually started Fusion with Scott um, sent me a text one day and said, um, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, we've got this 10,000 square foot building downtown. We'll move you out here, um, and you've got free reign to do whatever you want with this huge building. Um, and it was 
you know, it was just out of the blue. It was totally unexpected. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, I was working, I was getting paid almost nothing from doing shows cause that's not a moneymaker. And, uh, it was just something that I loved. Um, I was also in school part-time. I was working two other jobs. Um, and so he, you know, he presented the bait and he promised me a salary and said he'd move us halfway across the country. And so we took it and, you know, found out pretty quickly, um, that that was not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I bet it was a month into us being out here that I was like, this was a really bad decision. Um, and I did not personally feel like I could fit into the, the Axe 29 mold. Um, and then my, uh, every, everything changed, I think, from there. Um, I stuck around for about two and a half years. Um, and then, you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. I didn't have any plans. I didn't, there was no backup plan. I didn't have a college education. I, um, you know, I, I didn't really have anything. So, but I, I knew that I couldn't keep faking it. So I think that was the point that, uh, you know, at that time I wasn't done with the church or Christianity, but I was done with the whole Acts 29 thing. Um, so I, you know, I just walked away. Um, and then that I think kind of sent me on this downward spiral theologically pretty quickly where I, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, took some really crappy part-time jobs and, uh, just trying to figure it out from there. But, you know, in the midst of that whole thing went through a really dark period of depression. Um, I was suicidal at points. I, um, and I think 2000, so I left in January, 2010. And then by probably the same time the next year, um, my wife kind of gave me an ultimatum, like, Hey, like you need to go get some help or this is, this is going to get really bad. Um, so I went through about a year of some really intense therapy. Um, and yeah, I feel like I've left out a lot of details. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, I, th- I, I mean, you know, we need a sketch. I mean, I think that, um, you know, to chase some of the things, um, you, you know, might might get us to a place where we don't actually get to talk about some of the things that, you know, really, frankly, interest both of us. And it's not to minimize any of those details that you feel like you're leaving out. But there were some high points that we wanted to kind of get to, because if you're going to if you're going to talk about a transition and, and you're going to try to put, you know, some. um I don't know whether you want to call it meaning making or you want to call it, you called it earlier interpretation. Really, I'm trying to look and say, okay, so, you know, um, not, okay, how can I convince Rob uh, of something different, but what can I learn from Rob? And um, if I've got people who are listening that, you know, are still 
involved in church leadership or they're they're involved in a church in some way and you know they there's some things that I think you've you've described that that they need to own and and uh um and so and so let me, let me just ask a couple of questions and, sure, and see. Yeah. so so um I, you you said that, that that there was a point at which um you just couldn't do this and at the time um it was a particular form of what was going on with um the church you were involved in and i don't know uh to what extent you want to um talk about that particular structure because i know it is a very very um um it, it's a memory that has got a bit of emotion attached to it and rightly so um but but i i wonder if if you've thought about what was that i mean when you reflect today um uh i've been writing down this chronology so you know almost looks like three almost four years you know later um after this ultimatum, maybe almost almost five, uh, and you were you were forced to kind of answer your, yourself and and uh, kind of look at things. What would you say today? How would you identify what was missing, or or what what was it that startled you that said I can't do this? What 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 exactly? I mean, have you have you pinpointed what that was? I think looking back, you know, I, I didn't realize that at the time, but. You know, going through therapy, being exposed to some very different ideas about, um, you know, just how the world can work and how people can relate to one another and um, really made me understand, you know, how much of uh, guilt and shame and... uh, what else? You know, control, um, manipulation. I think that was such a part of not not only um, not only the Acts twenty nine thing, but even before that, growing up in the charismatic church, it was almost like I I left one kind of cult mentality and replaced it with another one, um, and. Um, there's definitely some parallels um, between the charismatic movement and Acts 29, but um, yeah, it's just a lot of uh, just a really toxic environment um, that um, just, you know, people have questions, people have doubts, people have differences of opinion, and there's a, a, uh, a line that must be towed or else um it's kind of a constant theme running through you know definitely not you know the jay baker phase or um the fusion which be excuse me fusion which became convergence um right definitely not a theme in those environments um but definitely the the stuff that i grew up with and then um the the x29 kind of ethos was was very um just not open to difference not open to um 
Maybe that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, I, man, there's, golly, there's several things. Um, well, on the, on the first leg, um, it, there had to be a certain um, internal sort of, um, wow, I, I don't know if, I mean, angst isn't the word. I, I tension conflict. Um, when you, you you've got this um, alleged uh, declaration that um, in Jesus God did a thing that takes away guilt and shame, but I'm in a system that seems to only be able to produce success without guilt and shame. Hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, and that, that's always, I mean, you, you're, um, you know, this, we've talked, you're not the first <laughs> that, that, you know, when we talk about these things, the, the thing that immediately, you know, kind of, kind of stares me back in the face is, so how do we talk about those subjects so that we don't create this, um, this thing that requires us to, um, uh, dangle this notion that a human being can encounter a particular form of of love that is uh, unlike another, where I'm I'm not um, held captive to guilt and shame, but then I I constantly hear a message that I ought to feel guilty and I ought to be ashamed. Yeah. And and so um, whether or not it's a, a charismatic thing or an Acts 29 thing, it does seem to be that at least in some corners of Christianity, that seems to be the thing we're so afraid uh, to let go of, um, else someone might feel liberated. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds weird, but, but I mean... You know, um, I, I I just I uh, I mean you you you've pastored you you've been on staff so you you know you know how it works internally um, not just from the standpoint of your own personal sort of kind of positioning but in the sense that that um, how often um, you felt shame and guilt for failing to meet some sort of quasi expectation that somehow you were letting, you know, someone down because the burden of weight is now, you know, firmly located on you and having had a, a word spoken over you at 14 and and now all these years later that seeds, you know, firmly planted and, and guilt and shame just seems to be kind of a natural kind of a thief. Yeah. Um, for that. And, and so I only raise that because I think that's common. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think if we could get, you know, a, a bunch of people still in the church and those who've left. I mean, I think we'd all sit down together and go, man, how do we how do we how do we talk about human beings um, and any kind of liberation uh, uh, event wherever you're going to, you know, locate that and and uh, associate it with um, uh, an ongoing sense of guilt and shame? It, it seems to be just too much of a conflict. Yeah. Yeah, and it definitely, you know, 
where I'm at now, um, going through therapy definitely helped me realize a lot of this that I didn't just wasn't really aware. I think it was, it was part of my childhood. It was part of, um, just what I understood religion in the broadest sense that I understood it. Um, but that was just part of the deal. And, um, yeah. And, and now, um, like I react violently against those types of triggers because <laughs> I just, I think I've, I've just learned like, like, no, like this is not, it's not healthy. It's not, it's not a good part of being a human being, no matter where you are in your life. Um, you know, things, if something happens at work, you know, I'm, I'm the first to be like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Like, like, Hey, let's, let's slow down back up. Like, let's not, you know, demonize each other. And, um, so anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that, I think that that plays right into the, the thing that, that also struck me as you were kind of describing, um, those feelings and that, that experience is, is this idea of difference, um, and um, interestingly, Scott McKnight um, just put out a little book called a. Com- um, let's see, what is it? Um, a community of difference, or something like that. And and um, you might appreciate this illustration. So he's like, you know, Caesar salad is boring. Um, <laughs> and why would anyone want to use iceberg lettuce uh, to make a, a house salad? No, to make a really good salad, you need um, a variety of um, uh, leafy uh, vegetables, spinach, mescaline, and, and several of those. And, and, and goodness, why wouldn't you have a variety of tomatoes and other vegetables and, and, and on and on he went. And, and why in the world would you want ranch dressing? Why not some sort of um, you know oil-based uh, dressing that actually draws out the flavors of the vegetables that you've put together. And, and, you know, he's pretty good at, at, at metaphors and pictures. And, and he, he talked about that that really is, you know, the only way to really enjoy a salad is, is to have, um, a recognition of difference. Um, if you like good food, you love watching a chef go to work, and when they go to work, they know they know exactly how to put things together that don't normally go together. And you're like, you turn your nose up at it, you look at it out well, of the corner of your eye, you're like, nah, you're not really, you don't really think I'm going to try that. And then you do, and you find out, man, the mashup of these wildly diverse flavors are like just this goodness bomb going off in your mouth, you know, and you're just like, good, wow, that is you know, that is incredible. And, and yet it seems as though the church, um, and, and, and I say, I'm going to say it in general, um, really has a hard time with difference. And as a consequence, we get, we get trapped in, uh, who we are, uh, because, uh, to be different means guilt and it means shame. And then it means a lack of really being self-aware of who I've been made to be, who I am. And we then internalize that 
And the only way then to react is to actually externalize that experience by always trying to force the others into that sameness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you, you, I mean, you, you, you're describing that. I mean, that, that's, you know, when I, when I listen to you uh, talk about creating space there in the, in the, there behind um, blue seven, you know, I'd never heard of Jim Bianco, but I had Gary Jules and, and Bianco was just as, he was funny, you know, he was good. It was a great <laughs> show, you know? And I I mean, I went out and got, I got some of his music. I mean, there's some lyrics that, you know, I'd get, might get in trouble with my iPod, you know, <laughs> uh, back in the day. Uh, but, but all that to say that, that we really have stymied, you know, uh, what, what seems to be sort of the intended variety of human experience that ought to be caught up under, uh, you know, this umbrella or this vision of what, what, to borrow your Jay Baker reference, you know, what grace really can make something um, where, you know, I, I give you space, you give me space. And, yeah. um, and, and I think that that's really a, you know, uh, a, a huge, huge thread of, of what you've described from beginning, you know, to end. And, uh, and to where you are today, because you're not done. Um, and so it's not an end. But but I mean, from the span of what you describe, it, it, it seems like that is, you know, a weight we all um, uh, bear uh, from particular forms that uh, really are intended to rob us of uh, any distinctiveness that, that, you know, might be wired into who we are. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a very <clears throat> kind of a pivotal moment, which, I mean, it seems really... Um, maybe not that important, but for me at the time, it, you know, I was a big, I was kind of considered the theologian in residence at this church here in Raleigh. And, uh, I was, you know, doing a lot of the research for the pastors who were preaching. And, um, you know, anytime there was a theological question, I was the one, you know, helping someone work through it and see all the the diversity of answers throughout the history of the church that have, that, uh, people have tried to come to grips with certain questions. And, uh, we were sitting in a staff meeting at the time we had about 15 staff and somehow evolution and age of the earth came up and someone threw out the question, like, does anyone here actually not think the earth is 6,000 years old and actually believe in evolution? And I was like, am I the only one on this staff that doesn't think those things? And it was, it was just this weird moment where I was like, wow. Like, and I I also felt some kind of shunning because, you know, I had, you know, as the, the guy who people go to, to try to work through these issues, I had spent years trying to understand all these things and I was being uh, kind of shunned, shamed, because I had come to different conclusions. Um, and it was just a really weird kind of culture shock type experience. So I was like, wow, this this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> Right. And, and let's, let's, you know, let, you know, let's, let's kind of be frank. I think one of the things that happens is, um, we, we, um, uh, still have, or, or not we, 
let me say the church still functions um, in, in, in its understanding of of the world and 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 what we know and how we know and that sort of thing um, uh, not in an not with a model of integration such that um, you know um, you know it reminds me it reminds me of talking to someone about how you know uh, how the mechanics of of church work when you you know you, you talk about business and you know so churches whether anybody likes it or not have to make business decisions you know we have to make you know, someone comes by and says, hey, you know, would you like us to rebid your health insurance or what about your building insurance? We could save you money. You know, it'd be really stupid to go, no, um, you know what? God told us that uh, we should pay 20 percent more. <laughs> you know, that, that 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 really doesn't, you know, make any sense. So instead, you know, you, you hope that whoever's responsible for that is actually going to say, no, we probably ought to have that thing bid every year or two so that we can make sure that we're paying, you know, something competitive and that we're not just kind of being lazy and turning a blind eye or, 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 you know, Hey, it's okay. We can leave every light on in the building. You know, it's God's money. He's got enough money to take care of all the electricity. If we want to leave the lights in the building and someone wants to forget and keep the air conditioners down at 68 and not turn them up when they leave. And, you know, you know, that sort of thing. We, we have to make those decisions. Um, and, and yet then um, it's like all of a sudden we've got this shift that says, but when we get over here and talk about these things, even if they have a relationship outside of, say, this body of knowledge that we classify as spiritual, there can be no integration. There's, there, there's no, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we can't possibly see how to integrate the fact that, you know, we do learn some things about the world through science. Uh, we actually are glad because the the things that people have learned uh, in science through the world around us have actually provided remedies for illnesses that we get. And if they hadn't paid attention to the world and they just said, then there's actually certain denominations that actually, you know, uh, watch their loved ones die because they, they won't, you know, go that route because they disintegrated so um, uh, deeply. And yeah. I think that what you describe here is is another issue that we just have to increasingly face. That is, you know, there, there's it's it's nonsense not to find some integrative way uh, to talk about about the world. And I I think that you know you and I uh, could spend another hour talking about um, uh, how the church has talked about God, God's involvement, God's participation, even if at some point you would say, I don't think there is one, you know, I'm, or, or opt for maybe a non-theist position, uh, still in the discourse of things that's still prevalent in our culture, even if we are post-Christian as, you know, as it's purported, we still, you know, um, bear the, bear the need to kind of figure out, um, how all these things are related. I mean, goodness, you know, a year in therapy is actually also in part, the project is to figure out how it's all connected. Yeah. And, and so, um, as I'm, if, as I'm exploring my own self to, to, to borrow kind of the, the framework that Richard Rohr would give. And, and if I become self-aware and then I'm trying to figure out all the interrelatedness features of my life experience and all my relationships and how that works. Why in the world is God not integrated into into that in some at some level? And so when faced with a question about, you know, what do we learn um, in, in the realm of science, for instance, or psychology? Uh, and we want to say, oh, no, 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 we there, there, there can be no integrating 
uh, of those fields of knowledge because, you know, after all, that just, you know, be crass here, but that, that just takes too much work. And, um, and it's easier to control and it's easier to, you know, give definitive, you know, responses and answers. And, uh, and so when you, when you describe that event, that's not like a petty event. That's not like just, well, you know, maybe someone else would have sloughed it off and you took it hard. Um, I think that's representative of um, why, you know, some people look at the church and go, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's why some millennials look at the church and, and, uh, and say, you know, if, if you can't see the relationships in all these things, then how in the world can you speak to my life um, about anything? So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, when um, another another thing that, that came to mind is 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 while we haven't raised it, uh, particularly when you're spending some time and you're given kind of the responsibility to, to be the go to uh, guide to explore some questions. I frankly have never been in an environment that that big where I could go to somebody and say, here, look this up um, and and figure this out and come back. And, of course, what's worse is they ask you to do that and you come back and they look at you like, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 a whole nother thing that's pretty crazy. But but along the way, when when you started um, down that road and you kind of had that role um, based on your you know life experience and, and such, you, you had to come across some, you know, different answers, some uh, different ideas. If, I mean, if you're talking church history and you're talking the breadth of it and you're talking about all that's available in 2000 years um, plus, um, that had to be a little bit of an unsettling experience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was, you know, kind of in conjunction with realizing that that the environment that I was in was not conducive to the conclusions that I was coming to. Um, and ironically, you know, I was I was leading a small group in our house. Um, I was actually teaching theology classes. Um, I've got actually, you know, a couple of years after I walked away, I would still. Um, every couple months go back and listen to these classes that I was teaching. And there's some stuff in there that, you know, if, if they would have really known what I was teaching, it would have been the gauntlet would have come down, um, you know, questioning the existence of hell. And, you know, at the time, you know, I did not believe there was a hell, but I was presenting, you know, here's a variety of, of, um, options for Christians to, uh, think about this question what is hell or is hell eternal and all of those things. Um, but just, you know, the kind of top down, um, blueprint kind of, um, where, you know, we say there's secondhand issues that are open to debate, but they're really not (laughs) all of that. Um, that, was definitely not the approach that I was taking. Um, but kind of as I went through that process, I actually like teaching this one class, I called it the gospel class where I just went from, you know, creation all the way through consummation. Um, and I was trying to connect all these dots through the story or quote unquote, the story of God, 
um, as I continued to teach that class um, over and over and over, I was continually tweaking it and, you know, changing the way that I approached all these different questions. And uh, I think once I, once I finally said, okay, I'm, I'm leaving this environment, um, then uh, the floodgates opened to philosophy and to, you know, a lot of, uh, I was reading like Richard Dawkins and a lot of different things, just exposing myself to as many different things as I possibly could, um, which uh, honestly, like looking back now, like knowing that I was really depressed and, you know, I really think it was a, uh, it was a way for me, um, to try to understand the 25 years or I guess it was longer than that, 28, almost 30 years of my life, um, how all these things happened and connected and what did it all mean. And, um, through that process of, uh, of being depressed, I became this like hardcore atheist and Richard Dawkins was my new Jesus and like went through that whole phase. Um, and, uh, which honestly, like with a lot of the people that, that I still keep in touch with, I think, um, a lot of people kind of go through that phase where you don't know what has happened to you or why. And these angry people are voicing, your, uh, legitimate questions and, and problems. And, um, and it's really attractive to you. It's kind of the, the, uh, the flip side of the coin to a Mark Driscoll is a Richard Dawkins. So mm. you go from one kind of extreme to the other. Um, and it, it all makes sense. You've got an answer to everything and it's, it's, uh, it's simplistic and it's, um, uh, allergic to nuance and to difference and all of those things that, that, uh, kind of push you out of that environment. You just fall back into the same thing and then you're just pissed off all the time. And, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I went through that full circle, um, the whole gamut of, you know, at one time I thought I was a Buddhist and I, was a hardcore atheist and religion was like, there was no possible positive benefit to religion in any way. And, um, honestly, I, I don't know that I would have done as well transitioning out of that kind of phase had I not gone through therapy yeah. where, um, you know, I just, it was really helpful to me. And, you know, now that I, I work for a company that does very similar type of work, uh, with their clients, um, you know, I, I'm an, a huge advocate for it, especially for people that have had similar church experiences that I have. Um, I'm constantly, you know, you should really go talk to someone. Um, this will really help you, um, so, I don't I don't remember what the question was. But. No, no, you know, you 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 no, you you trailed on well. And, and and I think I think really the the uh the thing that I want to draw for those who might 
you know, might listen along the way is is that two things. One, one, if 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 we can't create space for the kind of questions and experiences you describe, people are are going to have to leave. So you know we we've kind of battened around like what particular philosophies or what particular ideas create kind of this liminal space or this in-between space while someone's kind of trying to figure that thing out. And so whether it's a particular philosophy or whether it's therapy or, or what it might be, you know, it's not like someone, you know, is, is having some dishonest questions. And that, that's the hard part because, um, why I know a number of people that, that, my uh, folks here at our church would be surprised to to know some of the questions that you know they they struggle with and they wrestle with and and if and if we didn't give space for that um then we couldn't expect them just to hang out because we're cool yeah <laughs> you know because we still have at and you described it we still have at 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 heart of us uh this I got to make some sense, or I've got to understand some meaning. Now, it—that's it, 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 just—that's us. The, the inquisitiveness that's wired into who we are, I think, um, is always looking for um, an, an explanation and uh, a sense of understanding. And I don't know that we're looking necessarily for some certainty. I think we're just looking to see how, how do we fit in this place and space with these other people and and what what is a what is a uh, particular narrative i can i can live into and um i've got some very conservative friends that probably aren't going to like how i describe that but but my my aim is to say that we i I don't the, the thing that i don't get is is why we were afraid see because i think that that my therapist friends remind me that uh, anger is rooted in fear, and and so uh, you know to be self-aware when something bothers me and uh, makes me angry, I need to f- I need to first ask not who made me mad or what made me mad. I need to ask what what am I afraid of? Yeah. And I can't I can't possibly imagine uh, any context wherein I I should um, not ask that question if I actually do believe that. That the love that I read about in expressed in Jesus is supposed to drive out fear, and if if that is that's really true, then then um, I, I don't I don't I'm not afraid of questions. I you know this I'm not afraid of your questions. Yeah. Not afraid of I'm not afraid of asking myself those questions. And I think we do a disservice when we're talking about you know helping. Uh, people try to make sense or meaning or understanding, and you know we we uh, uh, can't abide the questions. And uh, and that, that was one thing that came to mind as you were kind of describing that. And the other was just to say, "Good for you, dude." Um, th- listen, I-, I wish more people understood the value of therapy. Um, and I mean, I took all those classes in college and seminary. You know, can you integrate psychology and theology, and 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 what's the difference between you know biblical counseling and and uh, psychoanalysis, for instance, if you want to you know go uh, that that route, um, and that somehow they are, you know, uh, 
taboo. Um, that's why I've always been, you know, an advocate of, of Father Rohr when, when he really ex- explains that, you know, one of the things that you know, human beings need the most is to, you know, be self-aware of, them, of themselves. Um, there, there's no authenticity if I don't know who I am. And, uh, and that sometimes is, is difficult. Sometimes we go through periods like you described the depre- uh, where there's some depression um, or some other event that starts us down that road. But I, I say, I hope you keep telling folks you need to talk to someone about that. I, I do the same thing. We've got a guy here, um, you know, that leases some space, and I'm pointing down the hallway all the time. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's uh, silly. I, this is this is a tangential way to describe that, but I was talking to uh, someone today, and they were talking about their health, and uh, and they were really battling some things and trying to get to the bottom of issues. And, and they told me about visiting uh, a doctor that um, once they described kind of all their symptomatic things and, and they were looked at and said, well, your problem is you, you've got this many kids and you're doing this kind of job and you're helping your husband with this particular thing. And if you just get in church. <laughs> and I thought, wait, I don't know who licensed that person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the, to me, that's kind of the sort of reductionistic answer that, that, um, actually glosses human experience and reduces it to, you know, uh, let, let me just point you to this Bible verse and, um, uh, human beings are, and their experiences are, are much more complicated and, um, and frankly more valuable than, than I think that dismissive approach allows. And again, you know, if that's what the church is going to do, I think we should be ready for people to leave. Yeah. So you've, you've helped us. I mean, you've, you've, you've thrown some things out that, uh, I think are valuable for us. And, um, and I, I, uh, I hope that, you know, someone will, again, will listen and, uh, maybe they'll discover that they need to, Either find a place where they can, you know, pose those questions and 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 uh, not not be uh, shamed or feel some sense of guilt, um, or they'll find someone that they can talk to and uh, kind of work through some of those things that life brings them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, I think that I think that really the um, you know I think the thing I'd I'd like to do. You know, kind of closing. I've, I've appreciated your hour, and I try to be um, respectful of those I asked to come on. Which obviously, this means we probably find a way to do this again uh, yeah. down the road. But I think I think maybe the one thing that I I want uh, to I want to hit, like um, I did with uh, with Greg, and that is is I, I think that people underestimate the power of friendship. And you mentioned um, that you still have some guys that, you know, or or you talk with, you know, weekly. And um, and I I think that um, regardless of. um, Well, I think I should say it this way. I think that friendship without um, ulterior motives is powerful. 
And uh, that's what I've always appreciated when we sit down and uh, have have lunch at Cafe Bella or something to drink when you're around or, you know, we, we see something that strikes us and we and every now and then, you know, hit one another back and forth on some social media or email or something. I think that I think that actually is um, another lesson that I hear in your description, something would be valuable for at least for Christians to to get a handle on that that friendship without an ulterior motive is pretty powerful. And um, uh, I think it's also opens us up to a greater sense of empathy and and uh, uh, freedom ourselves. So I thought I'd throw that out and see is, is that is that resonate in any way? Um, yeah, and it's interesting because I, I, I mean, so much of my own experience, um, I, I know that I can trace it back to you know some something I read in the Bible or some conversation I had with another Christian about some uh, valuable thing. So I mean, even. Today, I feel like, you know, my, uh, my, I, I feel as intentional as it can be, um, just hanging out with people, um, as often as I can, as often as my wife and I can, or our entire families, or, you know, just, uh, I don't, I don't know if community is the right word. I know Caputo hates that word, but, <laughs> um, but you know, camaraderie, maybe that's the right word. Um, just, you know, just being around people and having no agenda. I feel like that is something that I got from maybe, um, some ideal that someone had in my church experiences. Um, uh, and I, I feel like that that has, has carried on and it's, you know, a part of who I am. Um, I, I don't see that ever changing. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, definitely, um, as much as I can, I'm, uh, hanging out with people and grabbing coffee and grabbing the beer and like, I don't ever have an agenda. And I, I think that was one of the things that I, to kind of flip it the other direction, one of the things that kind of felt weird in certain church environments that I was in where, um, if I didn't have that agenda, then I was like wasting time. And, um, I don't know how much you're aware of like, uh, Dave Bazan, who was in Pedro the lion, but Mm -hmm. he's got, Mm -hmm. um, he's got a song, I think it's called foregone conclusions where basically it's this idea that, you know, you could just be in each other's presence and enjoy each other and hang out. And, um, you don't have to shift the conversation toward quote unquote, the Lord. Um, a really weird experience happened. Um, it was probably about two years ago. I was on a trip, excuse me, a trip back to Oklahoma city, just hanging out with some friends. And I hadn't seen one of my friends in probably five years, uh, grew up with the guy. He was a really good friend. He was a popular kid in high school. Um, he was one of those guys that was always out drinking, partying, having sex with a lot of girls, like just one of those guys, um, kind of a jock 
mm-hmm. kind of guy. Um, but we always been really good friends. Um, reconnected. I went to his house. Um, we're hanging out. Um, and out of the blue, he just shuts down the conversation and he's like, so I heard you, you haven't been going to church. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm working through some stuff and tried to like shift the conversation away right. from whatever direction he was heading toward. Um, and <clears throat> then he proceeded to, uh, present kind of this, uh, gospel message to me. And it was one of the weirdest experiences <laughs> of my life. Just be, like, it was just so strange and, um, I had a really hard time not getting really angry and offended and I haven't spoken to him since then, but it was just a, like, just a really unnecessary, um, I just didn't get it. Like it just made no sense to me where this was coming from and, um, how it was contributing to anything and what he hoped to accomplish by it. Um, I, I don't know. That was just, um, I, it was just really, really strange anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a, there's another angle and maybe you experience this. Um, but I have to tell you that it's very hard to go to a preacher's meeting where you know there are going to be a lot of guys, even guys that are your friends, that you don't feel you, you don't feel somehow that the conversation has to bend toward your latest success, right? Uh, your most aggrandized moment, uh, the latest revelation. Uh, and to me, it's a pretty dehumanizing experience. Um, yeah. It has. You know, um, I, I realized at one time when uh, I was having a conversation about something was pretty important and a, and a pretty good friend of mine's eyes kind of glazed and they rolled back into his head. And I thought, oh, OK, <laughs> well, um, I'm pretty sure that if I had asked you, invited you to come preach a revival at my church, you'd have had your pen out and your calendar out. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, I, I, I think what you describe, um, you know, actually is, is almost always present and potential in any relationship. Um, and so whether someone feels the need to re-evangelize Rob Davis or someone feels as though you can't, you know, have just a conversation about life because you're always on uh, because of your vocation or profession, the elements really are still the same. You, you're, there's no space uh, for your own identity. There's no opportunity, um, you know, to to express, you know, any kind of authentic, honest moment uh, to be who you are. And I'm not using that as an excuse to, um, you know, be hateful, mean, angry, ugly, that sort of thing. But I mean, just to say, you know, I'm kind of I kind of enjoy in life. You know, I'm, I'm at a place in life where my kids are grown. I've got three grandkids. And, you know, some of the best times are my wife and I sitting on the back porch watching the sunset. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm good with all of that, you know. And sometimes someone says, how's it going? I'm going, well, if, you, if you'll just give me a couple of easy chairs and a sunset, I'm good, you know. <laughs> 
and and it's like, oh, well, like, shouldn't you be doing something else? I'm like, no, no, I actually think that that's you know pretty good. Yeah. And and so I think that I think there's always something there too that, that we have to always be on alert for because I, someone's always. Or it appears to me, uh, I shouldn't, you know, generalizations or get you in trouble, but it does appear to me that we really have a hard time in our culture, you know, moving past, you know, whatever expectations are that I'm going to have a conversation in hopes to get something out of it. And uh, that's why I like Caputo's idea of the gift, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, that, that picture, that image, you know, really works for me. Yeah, I mean, kind of just to add to that, maybe um, I'll make it short, but, you know, I, <clears throat> the company that I work for, I've been there for about three and a half years. Um, we are right next door to this coffee shop slash kind of lunch, lunch uh, restaurant. And um, I go there pretty much every single day. I know... Uh, probably 10 people that work there. I see them almost every day. I, you know, ask them how they're doing, like what's going on. I like, they ask me the same thing. And I remember, um, probably, uh, when I, I was really into, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, I can't remember his name. SBC guy. Um, did a lot of stuff on the word missional. Uh, Ed Stetzer. Yeah, 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 Ed. So I remember I met Ed Stetzer. I really liked the guy. But mm-hmm. I just remember uh, being in this environment where he was very influential in the Acts 29 world um, and saying things like, um, you should, as a, a, a prescriptive thing, you should find a coffee shop and go to it as frequently as possible and get to know the people there for the purpose of eventually presenting the gospel to them. I'm sure he wouldn't say it exactly that way, but just that whole mindset of like, you should be doing these things um, because you're on mission. And it was just a weird, like one day it just hit me and I was like, I'm being missional and <laughs> I'm not even like, I don't even identify as a Christian anymore. I'm just talking to these people and it's so simple and it's just not this like, uh, quote unquote sacred thing. And there's no agenda and it's just part of being a human being. And, um, I don't know why I added that in there, but it was just, um, it just hit me one day, just like, this oh, is, this right. is normal. This is, you know, getting to know your neighbors. That's not, um, that's not a checkbox. Um, right. and for me, it never really was, but it was part of that culture of, you know, you're always, I think you said it, you're always on, you're always, um, there's always something you're getting to rather than just, you know, this goes back to Kant, the mm-hmm. idea that you, you know, no person is a means to an end. Right. And so you, you interact with people as ends themselves and they are what is important as people. And right. 
um, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was. I think that I picked that same thing up reading Levinas, and um, when when he talked about the color of the eyes and and uh, do we know it, and what does it mean if we've only paid attention to the color of the eyes? So a couple of different ways to read that, but it's it's the same same kind of thing, and uh, yeah. I, I think I think uh, you know if we you know if I'm gonna you know wax you know Baptist preachery I, I've got to say that you know at some point if if we do think that um, people are you know made in the image of God then being in their presence is actually an opportunity to be you know engaged in someone who ha- who has the uh, opportunity and and does you know re- reflect that image and um, yeah anyway. I get in trouble if I go too far. So, but hey, this has been this has been good. Uh, I, I, I man, I'm glad you you responded and said, hey, I'd love to love to get on and have a conversation with you. And and we've left enough on the table that uh, you know we could do this again. So yeah, uh, maybe, I'm, I'm maybe, definitely maybe, open to that. Maybe down the line we'll we'll get back together and and pick one or two of those things that we didn't didn't get to and and throw it out on the table and and do this again. Great. Well, folks, I hope uh, if you uh, took the time to listen all the way to the end, uh, I'm going to trust that you didn't uh, lose sight of of the value of conversation and the opportunity to listen. Hopefully there's some things if you're uh, if you're given the following Jesus, you've learned some things. And if if you're uh, wondering if there is a way to have a conversation with someone who is and you aren't. Uh, identifying in that way, maybe you'll know that not all of us uh, are repelled by your uh, your existence on the planet. <laughs> and uh, and so, um, if you uh, uh, feel the need, uh, send this around to some folks who actually have questions and wonder if people can have good conversations. So, Rob, thank you for yours, and I appreciate your time, man. Man, thank you so much, Todd. You, I know you. You're not doing this, so that that I'll do this, but you are probably one out of two quote unquote pastors that I, you know, still communicate with on any level. So I, I appreciate your friendship, man. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate yours. So hopefully we'll get to connect again soon. All right, man. All right, man. Take care. You too. All right.